If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to Big Gay Energy. I'm Bree. I'm Theora. And I'm Caitlin. Come along with us while we dive into the fun and nuances of queer media. Representation matters, and we're here to talk about it. We're back! Uh, okay, hello. like, but, but for real, we're back. We're back. Um, we're back. This is the first episode anyone's going to see. Happy Halloween. Ha- yeah, happy, <laughs> happy Halloween. Halloween. Slash Samhain, slash All Hallows Eve, slash October, slash whatever you celebrate, slash Day of the Dead. Um, as you can see, Theora and I have come in costume. Yeah, Theora, you want to explain? So, I am a character from the new A League of Their Own series that we will definitely be covering. This character really loves, uh, well, doesn't love, has been on many sinking ships and always gets rid of the dead weight. Good old Jess McCready. How you guys doing? Excellent. Excellent. And I am appropriately dressed for our subject today, which is a lesson in vengeance as um, a witch from the mysterious Dalloway Five. Um, I'm going to take my hood off now because it's covering my headphones and I look ridiculous. <laughs> look at you look got a nice green cape on and Caitlin is Caitlin <laughs> question mark. Yeah. Caitlin has two options. Okay. <laughs> you ready? This is my first one. I'm a gay warrior nun. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. I like it. Love it. Topical. Topical. Okay. Now talk amongst yourselves. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. Okay, hold on. Let me get you. Damn, Caitlin. Caitlin outdid you. She did. I this is a knockoff knockoff. I have another reason for this outfit. Oh, yeah, you do. But my mother... Explain it to the people who are listening at at home what you're wearing. (laughs) Who can't see you. I'm wearing a League of Their Own uniform. She's a Rockford Peach, everyone. Like the the legit uniform. (laughs) No, because it's a very big knockoff. That's all right. But it looks more like it. But I have been banned from actually explaining why I have it. Why? Caitlin needs it for another purpose later. Because my mom said it's a big secret and that people can't find out yet. And I'm like, there's a reason. Floats her boat. Okay, I'm going to take this off now. Yep, you be the warrior nun or whatever you want to be, Caitlin. You have good options. I hate hats. That's true, (laughs) Caitlin hates hats. 
your hair so long that it just didn't want to. All right, I feel left out now. <laughs> hey, you're a I witch. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what I was expecting Fiora to be. Right. I mean, I shouldn't be so surprised at all. Yeah, you shouldn't. But I still was. Kind of. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, all right. On to today's episode, which is book club. It's our first Woo! book club. Is everyone excited? I picked. It was my pick, and I picked a really, really happy book. Has the you most did. happiest ending ever. It's the happiest. It, listen, we need to give you a warning for this book. If you are looking for a nice, light, good time, this is not the book. No. Uh, trigger warnings out the butt for this one. Mental illness, murder, suicide. Uh, mentions of suicide, anyway. Yeah. Um, lots of, lots and lots of things. Um, well, it's an interesting book anyway, and I'm going to read the synopsis really quick for you. Or not so much the synopsis, but the description. is a dark, twisty, atmospheric thriller about a centuries-old, ivy-covered boarding school haunted by its history of witchcraft, murder, and two girls entangled in its past. It's a dark academia nail-biter, sure to confuse and beguile you. Um, yeah, because you have, let's just be upfront about this. You have a very unreliable narrator. Just, I mean, like the most unreliable narrator I've ever come across. What's the title of the book and who's the author? I think we didn't mention that yet. <laughs> you can, no, it's A Lesson in Vengeance by Victoria Lee. Yes. So it really is a lesson of vengeance just the title spot on totally and so yeah if uh, based on the trigger warnings this isn't your jam like please skip this episode you should want to be upfront about the material in case you haven't read it and if not please come along with us as we dive into this vengeance book a little bit more indeed indeed mm -hmm. um is there anything anyone wants to say about the kind of general feeling of the book before we kind of get into characters and all that good stuff i just wanted to say that i re represent the people who have trouble reading and understanding because theora had to tutor me and she's a great teacher that, i believe that i didn't tutor you caitlin i just asked you questions and you answered from your brain you do know things <laughs> we want you you do know things you you just have to like have a little confidence in yourself that you do yeah so everybody's like we know you're smart as smart as hell yeah exactly we all have our strengths and weaknesses totally so that's why this is gonna be super fun to answer your question the pretty general feel of the book a definitely an appropriate book for october which is one of the reasons brie picked it it's a spooky-ish kind of book it's one of those books where i i enjoyed the um unreliable narrator piece because it, it it you don't realize she's an unreliable narrator until like a quarter way through the book and then you're like oh wait and it makes you like rethink about everything you've just read so you're constantly questioning what's happening because you only get felicity the protagonist's point of view you get nobody else's point of view so it's like you can't fully trust what you're reading so it's it's something that is pretty engaging 
from a narrative perspective. So I did like it, although sometimes it's annoying because like you want to know what's actually happening, but you you will never know. So I thought that was fun. I, yeah. And I, it, oh, sorry. Go ahead. There you go. I was going to say also it's a boarding school like setting, but it's not like your typical boarding school like kind of story, which I I liked like the the um yeah, it wasn't it wasn't as like catty and just like like the subject was different despite the setting being at a boarding school. It was more like academia focused and like focused on other things. So I like that aspect of it as well. I also like that you never actually, even though it's set at a school, you never actually go to a class. Yeah, that's really true. That's a good point. You hear about like you're you hear about their assignments and the some of the professors, but yeah, you're never at and you're in the library at some point, but never. I'm in class and staring at the window and I can't pay attention. There's none of that in it at all. It's just like, yeah, the setting was in a school, but it's not like, yeah, your typical boarding school, school narrative, which was nice. There also wasn't really magic and I was really sad about it. Yeah, same. Sorry, <laughs> My one complaint. I, I magic baited you. You did. Yeah, you you did. did. You're like Halloween. And we're like, when's the magic going to happen? I'm like, what, what are they gonna do something? I'm like, Felicity has to be right about the magic. <laughs> like, they should turn someone into a toad. That's the easiest thing, right? Spoiler alert. This <laughs> whole episode's a spoiler alert. Yeah. No, that's, actually, uh, that's so true. I also think, in general, they're the characters. So you've got kind of two main protagonists, but one whose viewpoint you see through the whole time. And they're both, we, we, I mean, at one point Felicity does say that she's a lesbian, but you don't ever get that info about Ellis that I remember. I mean, she's obviously queer, yeah, but there's no like stating of her sexuality, but I like how they, that wasn't a deal in the entire book. Like there's just like, that wasn't anything that drove the plot. It was just part of like a piece that was there because it didn't that's not what the book was about but and and that's the kind of those the kind of writing that I'm I look forward to seeing more of in the future where it's just there and you're not it's not a thing yeah I mean like Felicity does come out to someone in the book but it's not like it was a big piece of anything it was just kind of a a little character development bit for her towards the end of the book yeah that's a really good way of putting it because usually again in like the boarding school narrative with a queer woman it's usually like teacher student getting in trouble like getting outed and all like and it's traumatic or like student student and then someone gets outed and then it's tragic and all that stuff and that becomes like not not just the plot, but like the main conflict is like, oh no, they're gay in boarding school. That's not what ladies do, and that that's not what this story was at all. So yeah, that I agree with you. That was one of the things I did like that there was the queer stuff, but it was more character development, like you said, versus the main conflict or a plot device. Yes, exactly. Uh, so speaking of the characters, our protagonist is felicity morrow who's very everyone in this book has like either a cool name or a super literary type name like you could see them showing up as a character in a freaking um 
what is my brain? Come on. Why can't I think of this author? Southern short stories. Oh, well, someday it'll come to me. Uh, oh, it starts with an F2. Flannery O'Connor. Uh, oh, okay. Like a character in a Flannery O'Connor story. And then you have, so Felicity is the protagonist. She's our unreliable narrator. She is a girl who has some mental health issues in her past. She attended Dalloway, and then a big incident happened with her girlfriend, Alex, who also attended the school. Um, Alex died. Very sad. And Felicity is just now coming back to school. Every Everyone's kind of treating her with kid gloves because she's the kind of crazy girl now. Mental health patient girl it's like everybody's giving her that label it seems and a lot of them think that she had something to do with alex's death so that's a big big thing for her because she kind of feels like she's being haunted by alex not kind of she does feel like she's being haunted by alex and then the the new girl at school ellis haley who is a, a prodigy novelist uh, came to Dalloway to write her next novel. And she's one of those inexplicably like bright lights that draws everyone in. Uh, all the other girls that are in their house, which their house is kind of a character in and of itself. Godwin house. It's a, it's like where all the literary girls live on campus and it's a big deal to get into it but ellis like we said she's come just come to the school she came a little early and so did felicity and that's they're going to meet before everyone else gets there um let's see then there's quinn who is ellis's sibling and uh non-binary uh, and then we have the girls that live in godwin house Leonie Schuler, who's an Af who is described as an African American girl with tight curls, and then you've got the the, the name I'm going to murder, Kajal Meta, who is described as a thin, brown-skinned, bored-looking girl. It's like cool, cool, cool. Uh, Clara Kennedy, who is described as a pallid, pinched-faced redhead that looks a lot like Alex, the dead girlfriend. You have Alex Haywood, who is the dead girlfriend of Felicity, was a like world-class athlete, rock climber, and a little bit of a kind of a, a bully in some ways, as far as Felicity's memories go. Um, then you have the Dalloway Five, which are the students from many years ago who were killed one by one, which... It's like this super big historical thing at the school where it was kind of related to ritualistic murder. Um, you have Flora Greyfriar, who was the first one murdered. Tamsin Penhalligan, who was hanged. Beatrix Walker, who whose body was broken on the stone floor. Cordelia Darling, who drowned. And then Marjorie Lamont, who is the daughter of the founder and like head of the Dalloway Five, 
who's described as a witch murderer and wealthy, she was buried alive. Which sounds super fun, except not. And then I threw in Dr. Ortega because he uh, she comes up every once in a while. Uh, Felicity's therapist. So you see, there are these tools that Dr. Ortega gives Felicity and they come up every once in a while when she's trying to be like, okay, is this my mental illness? Or like, am I going crazy again? Or what's going on here? So that's an introduction to the characters. I don't know if you guys have anything to add to those. Uh, yeah. So <clears throat> let's see. Um, I'll add some of this stuff later. But one thing I wanted to add uh, about Leonie that I thought was interesting. That's mm-hmm. how you say your name, right? Leonie? Um, Leonie it, or Leonie? Yeah. <laughs> I am famous. Leonie. Leonie. That's how I say it in my head. I don't know how Leonie. to say it. <laughs> Miss Schuyler. Um, Schuyler? I oh, cannot Schuyler. pronounce this girl's name. Miss <laughs> Schuyler. Damn it. Schuyler. <laughs> I can't pronounce words. Uh, uh, we No, that's a historic thing on our podcast. Yeah, it's just what it is. I wanted to note about her too. One of the the key characteristics was her is not only is uh, she's a uh, black woman, but like her grandmother was the first black student ever at Dalloway. So that's pretty significant. So not only is she like a woman of color at this predominantly white school, but she's like carrying this legacy of like being Mm -hmm. the first kind of thing on her, which I think shapes her character a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh in her development and like wanting to be like tell her family history basically as an author, which I, I like that for her. I thought that was a great ca- character aspect since like history in the past is like another big theme uh, laced into this story. Uh, Clara mm-hmm. is it? Yeah. Clara also like Felicity Felicity's like perception of this girl is that she's really fucking annoying too. <laughs> mm-hmm. I have to note that they keep, they compare her to Alex Consley, but like Felicity is like, she looks like Alex, but she's annoying as fuck. It's basically like her inner yeah. monologue of this girl. It's her like whole character yeah. if, if you're asking Felicity. Right. So you don't really know who Clara is because Felicity just like automatically like is just like she's annoying as fuck. Which I thought was really, really funny. The, the few times that Clara <laughs> does actually speak and interact with any of the other characters, I agree with Felicity. So. Yeah. She also seems like... Oh, what is the like a me too pick me kind of girl where she's like clout chaser yeah yeah yes exactly like especially with like you see that with ellis like ellis like is everyone sucks up to her but like clara like has no morals or anything immediately whenever like ellis is involved so like she's kind of spineless in a sense too Mm -hmm. like her whole character was that yeah literally that and she looked like alex that was basically it Mm -hmm. Uh, I think, yeah, go ahead. No, no, no. I was going to move off on to Alex, but yeah, go ahead. Go for it. So Alex too, I think Alex not only was like Felicity's ex-girlfriend now, she's also, they were kind of like best friends too, like actually friends, which is significant because it's shown to us kind of like throughout the story that like Felicity really doesn't have any confidants at all. She's a very isolated person as well. And like, so Alex was her one like human tether that she had. So like. And losing Alex was a big trigger for her also. Um, And because Alex actually was friends with her and actually knew Felicity, like she was able to call Felicity out on her own behavior that Felicity was either denying or didn't recognize herself. 
And so it was noted through Alex that like Felicity, while she was at Godwin, was using her money to essentially buy friends, like other friends and like give her an air of normalcy. Like buy friends, I'll be normal. But like Alex was like, no, like I see what you're doing. So like, it's notable that Alex actually knew Felicity and now Alex is gone, which like doesn't help Felicity going forward with all these like new characters in Godwin. I think Alex was also a bit of <laughs> reality, like, yeah. The reality, the reality. That tied Felicity to the world in a way. And... Yeah. Um, and Alex was also different too, not just because she was a queer and she was out where Felicity wasn't at the time that they were dating and or knew each other. Alex was also a scholarship kid, which also made her an other at Dalloway because all the people there, like it's a private school and you need to have wealth, which is shown with like, Felicity and her mother and the way all the the girls in Godwin right now talk about like, oh, my parents are vacationing here or doing whatever. And like, we're going to our mansion here. Like they all have tons of money and Alex didn't. So that also made her an outcast. Like, and so like, it's partially why Alex was bullying quote unquote people is because Mm -hmm. she had to defend herself because they constantly looked down on her because she was an other. And I think Felicity saw that too, the way Alex was treated and that Bye, Caitlin. Bye, Caitlin. <laughs> Caitlin's doing costume change. No. <laughs> and I think that may have clouded uh, or shaped some of Felicity's like uh, social behavior as well, just seeing what Alex went through and like for quote unquote not being normal. So. And saying all that, I felt like Alex was more popular than Felicity on a just a person to person basis. Mm-hmm. And that that was. Part of the reason that I don't know that was like one of the things where it it made them work but it also put a like a wedge between them in some ways so Uh yeah a wedge on like an individual ego level at least for Felicity Mm -hmm. I yeah I agree with that yeah it's uh, that feeling of just being known as the crazy girl it's just it's just, it's, uh, I can see where it would be really hard for Felicity to make friends because, I, like, her in the past when she was dating Alex before the story starts, she had gotten so obsessed with the Dalloway Five and their witchcraft, the history of the school, and the history of these deaths that people started, like, questioning her sanity and wondering if she really thought magic was real, et cetera, et cetera. Which, as we see in the book, is kind of uh, a little bit of a thing because there are witches at Dalloway. They're just not real witches. It's like a a sorority of sorts, like a little coven, if you will. And Felicity was part of that, but she took it a little too seriously for everyone. And uh, I think that was another thing that Alex liked to point out. Yeah. Uh, yeah for sure like felicity definitely has some sort of obsessive disorder and alex definitely called her out on that because she's like i see what you're becoming i see what you're doing and felicity either didn't see it or didn't want to so yeah and then without alex she doesn't have that sounding board to like point reality like put her to the mirror and be like look at yourself look what you're doing like, Alex was, like, the one person that did that. Like, even her mother is just like, whatever. 
you want me to say? You don't want me to say. I'm going to go. So, yeah. yeah. She has no, like, even support when system, really. She, even when her mom is checking in. Right. She's asking, did you take your meds? Uh, well, where's the bottle? Can I say it? Like, you know, pretty much, like, do what you're supposed to do. Don't embarrass me kind of thing. It's that. And it's also, I'm here because your doctor made me ask mm-hmm. you these questions. Exactly. Like, it's very clear the mom really doesn't care and is all about perception and social behaviors and is like well crap my daughter's crazy i need to disassociate from her i'm gonna stay in europe away from you and all that stuff rich people shit rich people shit (laughs) perfect um yeah and uh, we've kind of delved into some of the themes but mental health is a big one especially with felicity the stigma of it she even talks about the new thesis that she's going to do has to do with historic the historical view of uh, hysteria and women and viewing that through horror literature. Like people, oh, that woman's acting weird. She's hysterical when really it's just a normal behavior and people just don't want women to have any freedom. But hey, whatever. Yep. Literally, yep. Yeah intelligence mm-hmm. in women is seen as hysteria quote exactly. unquote. so we also deal with uh, intellectual obsession versus mental illness uh those two intertwine for felicity i believe so she's a very smart girl obviously everyone in this house is they're very you know they all read constantly they're all they all have pretty impressive the ones that we know about thesis subjects and things of that nature. So we get to see, as I like said before, Felicity was obsessed with her subject, which was the Dalloway five previously. And they don't really want her to revisit that subject because it was such a big trigger for her. So she kind of changes it and uses her original research in any way for her new thesis um then we have oh wait, wait. i just i want to say one thing on that on the mental health theme that i thought there was one part of the book that i thought really kind of summed up not only that theme but like the struggle that like felicity goes through the journey rather it, and the quote is i'm fundamentally and biologically not well dr ortega would tell me this would all go away if i was good and obedient and swallowed the pills they gave me all these ghosts would die in the light of day if only I did as I was told. But I'm tired of being a good girl. I'm tired of obeying. And that's basically Felicity's whole thing. It's like, people are telling me what to do to solve my mental illness. But it's like, they don't know me. Like, I have nobody who really knows me. And it's like, I'm tired of doing what all these people who don't know me are telling me to do. Like, I need to figure out who I am kind of thing. In, in the context of having mental illness where nobody's really helping her through it. It's like, yeah. Um, and I wanted to say that another thing, piece of, I think, the trigger for this whole, like, escalation of her mental illness is she's also having this, like, loss of childhood, loss of innocence happening as well. Because she's, like, transitioning from, like, adolescence to, like, adulthood kind of at the time that this is happening. And, and at the time she was transitioning into that, that's when Alex died. And like she had her dalliance with darkness. And it's like this death is kind of like triggering her transition from like 
childhood to adulthood, like fantasy to reality kind of thing. And like Felicity really grapples with distinguishing from those two. And, and part of her like psychosis too, is when we first meet her and like the book is really told through its first person through Felicity's eyes. And so we get a lot of her inner thoughts and, and my take on a lot of her inner thoughts was that she's in a constant state of like paranoia. Like it's very constant. Like, she's like anytime she's observing other people she's constantly in like judging them and inventing these narratives about what they're thinking about her and it's always negative like she always feels like other people are looking at her and judging the shit out of her and so she in turn is like automatically judging them and she's so suspicious and i think that is highlighted the best when she first meets ellis like she's immediately suspicious of this person like doesn't know her has no idea who she is and it's just like instant judgment, instant like paranoia when it comes to meeting new people. And so it's, it's, it's hard to tell like with her mental illness, like, is it, is it like a curse for her that she's living with? Or is it like this crutch she's leaning on? And it's really hard to like separate because we only get things through like her lens, but it's clearly like weighing on her. It invades her thoughts, like her behaviors and, absolutely yeah um it's i think i was drawn to this book because well at first i was like oh hey boarding school queer witches um cool thriller type thing going on here and then when i started reading it it just the mental health aspect drew me in as well because i think that's something we're all familiar dealing with but it, the way that they that she, talking about what you're talking about that's like how my brain works too like if i meet somebody i'm i'm not quite to the the degree that felicity is obviously but i always my brain goes to okay what are they thinking about me they're looking at me and then then you know i have the logic now like when i was younger say felicity's age it was really bad that would be like constantly on my mind. But now that I've gotten older and gotten some mental health help, shall we say my lot, I also have that voice of logic that kicks in and says, nobody fucking cares about what you're doing. They're all in their own heads. And I but. think that's mental illness aside, like that's the part of the human experience, right. Of living in a society. Like when you're younger, like, you don't realize that other people don't give a flying fuck what you're doing. Like, because you're so socially conditioned to, like, be on your best behavior. Because like, you don't want them to think bad things about you. And so, like, you get it in your head that, like, oh, they're, think they're looking at me and thinking all these things about me. When really they're just worried about themselves and what you think of them. Like, everyone's doing that internally. And it takes you a long time, like, as you get older to, like, deal with that. And it's, like, that anxiety around that is, like, hi like highest when you're, like, in school and especially this kind of school where you're trapped with your like classmates all the, like she lives with her classmates so like that kind of like mental behavior and like mental anxiety of that is like always there like you can't escape it unless you like physically leave the school and you're like not around those people anymore so I think that's something that um humanizes her a bit and is something everybody can relate to because like have have you guys been through that like when you were younger and in school and you're just like trying to like make sure you're behaving right so like no one's thinking weird things about you and things like that oh man 
I've never stopped. I haven't <laughs> learned the other thing yet. I don't think it's more, I don't think it's learning. It's just toning it down. It just becomes far, everything else becomes far too tiring to make that important in a way. Right. It goes <laughs> down on the list of priorities of yeah, things priorities. that are stressing yeah, you yeah, out. Yeah. To put it. yeah. It's, it's like, I gotta pay rent, point. so that's up here. <laughs> what you think of me in this moment is like down here. It's like, I would say I <laughs> like it's been in the last five years that it, it went a little better for me. Like, I feel like when you turn 30, you get kind of I don't know, you lose some of that give a fuck. You just give less fucks. You give less fucks. It's true. And I don't think it, it even has to do, because there's plenty of people that have to pay rent who are in their 20s, but it's just like, in general, you just give less fucks. It's pretty much how I would describe it. And, uh, yeah, Felicity's very much not in that place yet. <laughs> no, she's trapped in school. So, like, her, like, Things that are on her mind are very limited. It's like schoolwork, being at school. I, even her mom's not a thought because mom's not there. Mm -hmm. It's just those are her two things that she has like the most anxiety about because that's really her only concerns in this school. Versus like when you're out of school and like working and in your 20s and 30s, it's like I have to worry about other things like paying bills that I wasn't worrying about in school. I have to worry about like seeing my family and like doing whatever. And like the, your list of priorities gets bigger. And so like, you don't have as much mental capacity to like be having anxiety just about what people think about you. There's other stuff like taking your mental space. So like it, the anxiety lessens because now you're doing a million other things versus in school, like you're only focusing on like a small amount of things. And so like all your focus goes there. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, um, it's yep. a it's a very small environment too. This this book yes. takes place. The setting is a very small environment. It's pretty much all in Godwin House, and then some various places outside, uh, in the woods, you know, in a graveyard, things of that nature. You don't really see a, a whole lot. Like most of the action takes place, if you can call it that. It's more mental action. <laughs> in, yeah, in the house itself. So, um, is that all you had on the mental health aspect? I have, you... I have one last thing and it has to do with like the unreliable narrative piece slash mental health. It's, it's that you almost get the impression that like, she's a pathological liar a little bit too. Mm -hmm. And I think that manifests the most when she's talking about, talking out loud about her mother. And so there's this other like there's mommy issues absolutely happening with Felicity. And I think that Felicity recognizes that she's too much like her mother and like hates herself for that because she's constantly It comes up when she talks about like the alcohol, the drinking, cause mom loves to drink. And so anytime she drinks, she's like, well, you know, I'm not indulging like my mom would, but then she like does and blacks out. So it's like, she's a little bit too much like her mom and doesn't like that. Cause mom's detached from her and like detached from other people. And like Felicity is like that too. And she has this line where she's talking, I think, to Ellis about her mother that highlights, like, the main point of this. And I'll talk a little bit about this in another section. But she says, she, as in my mom, never saw herself as the problem. And all I want is to be better than her. 
And she's saying that about her mother, but like Felicity actually thinks that that's actually what's going on with Felicity too. So it's, mm-hmm. it's weird that they, they, she sees her mother as this, like something different than her, but they're actually very similar. Yep. And yeah. 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 I think a lot of the theme in it is in the book in general is Felicity wishing she was a different person <laughs> in a lot of ways, yeah. but not knowing really how to wish she was a different person. Um, yeah, and that's again, that's a human thing. Have you ever been in a situation where you're like, God, I wish I was different? Like and you don't know how to like wrestle with who you are. That's 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 a journey. Every that's everything. <laughs> yeah. So But also you just also put me in mind of something I was gonna say later about how there is a port and it fits in the mental health thing portion where Dr. Ortega told her to basically make up a lie about how Alex died so that it was easier for her to deal with it, to cope with it, which was a horrible That's terrible advice. (laughs) Who is this therapist? I know. I know. Yeah, we'll get to that later, but yeah, 100%. But that makes Felicity's condition even worse and but it does give you this really kind of tasty bit in the book where it turns and you're like oh well what the fuck Uh (laughs) guys what's been going on this whole time (sighs) that and it also that would go into the manipulation section because No, Ellis isn't the only one that manipulates nope. publicity. Everyone that is an authority figure in her life, Dr. Ortega, her mother. I mean, I feel like the only people that actually care about Felicity at all, period, as adults in this book were the like the couple of teachers that she mentions. Yeah. Or has interactions with and like the head of Godwin House. So those like those and they didn't I mean like they don't have a huge amount invested in her. I feel like they're the only ones that really wanted anything good for her though. Yeah, and, and I would say like too, by being exposed to all this manipulation, Felicity also learns to manipulate. It's like a social exactly. thing. It's like manipulation is learned. It's a learned behavior. Yeah. I don't I don't think anyone manipulate. No one manipulates Felicity quite as much as Ellis. No, definitely not. But I do think Felicity also manipulates herself. Yes, Felicity manipulates other people too. Like it's not as like overt and like I guess aggressive as Ellis, but she definitely like subtly manipulates people with her lying. Like when she actively lies to them, like about like mm-hmm. either actively making up a lie or, or like lying by omission when you're just like i'm not going to tell the truth in this moment let them believe mm-hmm. this about me kind of thing um caitlin do you have anything to add you're sitting and like staring and <laughs> i was gonna ask you if you think i should share my theory here or towards the end because it's kind of off topic like it makes things go off the rails a little bit but the doesn't your doesn't your theory like it answers all of the questions though that you have answers to all the questions because if you're like Kayla has a hot take on this book and it's awesome <laughs> I basically have a theory and I can't think of anything else to answer these things okay I think you should put it here because it's like mental health manipulation kind of thing 
it's so good. Everybody get ready. Hydrate yourselves for Caitlin's theory. <laughs> Is it Dalloway? Yeah. Yeah. Dalloway School. Dalloway. I have a question for you. Is Dalloway a mental hospital? That would throw a big spanner in the works. Okay. So, my theories. I have a whole page. Basically, Theora was asking me questions and getting me to talk about people. And we were talking about Felicity being obsessed with people and then Ellis being obsessed to the point of violence. And then I kept reading through the character descriptions. and They all seemed very familiar to me. So I have to share some stuff that some people are probably like, why the hell are you sharing that? But it's the only reason why you could understand why my brain went here. So about a year ago... I went to the hospital and got admitted into a mental institution. And I call it a mental institution because humor and making it fun. Because that's how I cope. Woo! Okay. Now, before... <laughs> okay, I don't... The first thing I have on here is not relevant to the book at all, but it's a story. I went back and read my journal from the hospital. Aww. <laughs> and I <laughs> mean... It was, it was a time, but, so basically they have a coven and it's kind of like a unit and their house is just a smaller group of people and there's multiple houses on campus. And in this unit, they're all in the same major. Well, in the mental hospital, I'll try to make it more politically correct and you are separated by if you're high security, if you're like Alzheimer's. Well, they're making that if you're a kid. <laughs> um, my unit was the suicide unit, <laughs> and we called ourselves the Suicide Squad. <laughs> yes, you do. We got in trouble for all these jokes later. Um, but. Now that you know that, when I was in the hospital, this is my off-topic story that I didn't know I should share, but I thought it was just hilarious. There were supposed to be people in the ER watching you if you're, like, a high-risk person, but people left me alone, and my mom told them that they, she left, but they didn't listen, and nobody sent a watchdog, which is when I called them, to watch me. And I was watching Friends, and the episode of Friends that turned on when I was all by myself was the episode where the guy was like, I'm gonna kill myself. And I thought it was, I was like, do I turn this off? Do I keep watching it? I don't know what to do. So I just wanted to share that because I laugh about well, it. Well, you're like, the what's time. the protocol here? <laughs> um, oh, there's a bunch of random things. But Fiora brought up an issue with them making mushroom ravioli. <laughs> she, has, she has an issue with that. She's like, how do all these people know how to cook? Okay. I'm all over the place because... Are you really surprised? This is um, Caitlin's hot take. <laughs> so this is a schedule in the hospital. And it looks like school because you have specific times for everything. And you have lunch. Well, there's a one group called Healthy Nutrition Group. And there's also Life Skills and Social Skills. So my take is that was a class and a group that they had to participate in, which is why they were trying to coax Felicity to join them in the cooking. 
That's so also good. because if you don't participate, you're gonna stay there longer. I love it. And another, I have a lot for this freaking mushroom ravioli. <laughs> I'm sorry I sent you down this tangent. It was part of the healthy nutrition group. We got this article: improve your mood with healthy food. <laughs> I just realized it rhymed. <laughs> all this time and i didn't realize it right until now wow anyway at one point in the book ellis's door is locked and no one answers and felicity thinks that ellis is in there but maybe she wasn't within the mental hospital if you are a danger to yourself your door gets locked and you get locked out of your room and you have to be let in and you're not allowed to be by yourself Parents are rich. Everybody's well off. These are the people who have private insurance and have great health insurance that afford the hospital. Alex has a scholarship, aka she has Medicaid. But she's actually well liked because she's gone through some shit, so she knows life and so she's more likable because she's more down to earth. I already talked about the daily schedules like a school schedule. Got lots of crap and it's all over the place. Oh. Felicity's mom does not want to be there. No shit, because everybody's freaking going nuts. I mean, that's not the correct way to say that, but it can get scary. I was first put on a high secure unit and they were like, if you hear anything during the night, just stay in your room. I will come close your door. I'm like, what the hell is going to happen? Am I going to die in here? Aww. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of security. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the mom didn't really want to stay there. And she never really visits. But also, it's not like she can visit all the time. Because, you know, she wants her daughter to get better. And she doesn't want to be involved in it. Um, <laughs> and then Quinn visited. And she was more involved. They were more involved. Sorry. They That's all I got. They visited the hospital. Um, They got to meet more people. But basically, everybody so Clara is the suck-up, insecure girl in the corner. And those are the people in group where they just like sit timid in the corner of the room and you're like, oh yeah, you're still here. Um, oh gosh, no, you're just gonna have to take my word for it. Like, this is very similar. But then, do I have a, do you remember anything else I said? Because I said a lot last night and I just. You have more, but it like, it it answers the questions we talk about later. Okay. But but yeah. Your hot take is that this is all a metaphor for being institutionalized for behavioral health versus, like, an actual school. And, like, Felicity is basically in her brain saying, I'm in school, but she's not in school. Because she's unreliable. And I couldn't answer the questions because then we were going through the questions and Theo is like, so what do you think of this? I'm like my head they're in a mental institution now so i can't think of anything else yes you'll hear more of caitlin's hot takes when we get into the rest of the themes and the questions okay you should just write victoria lee an email and say hey girl 
She's too busy for She's us. too busy. We tried, guys. That's, 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 that's what we got back. Which, I mean... Well, I mean, she is busy. She's busy. Yeah. yeah. No, I just mean, like, you should write her an email and let her know that... Your hot take. This is the hot take. That's okay. Like, think her bro. books about a mental hospital? Um... <laughs> I think it's a very interesting hot take. Thanks. Um, I have like the auras stop. I have a lot of uh, I have a lot of questions, but we'll we'll save that for later. Okay. There's a lot out there. It was all over the place. I apologize. Don't apologize. No, it was great. Um, so I kind of want to talk about Alice and her psychopathy. Do it. Or sociopathy. I'm really, she, I think she's just, she, I think here's the thing about Alice. She knows what she is. She knows how she is and who she is. And she doesn't really give a shit about any like that many people's opinion about it. I mean, obviously she doesn't want to get caught for being caught out for being how she is. But I honestly do really believe that <clears throat> she knows that she's a psychopath, that she has all the earmarks of, so of psychopathy. And I kind of wanted to know, like it, it ties back to the, the whole Oh, God, I forgot one trigger warning. Everybody, if you have a problem hearing about things that happen to animals. And people. Well, I just mean animals, because yeah. I'm about to talk about Animal, how animal. Alice stuff. ate her own pet. I really thought she was going to eat her grandma. Me too. <laughs> Me too. Uh, that would have... <laughs> I was like, are you really going to go there, Victoria? Right. <laughs> then she, it's like she went, she went to the edge and then pulled back at the last second. And, like, you get, and there was a bunny. And you're like, oh, okay. The publisher was <laughs> like, okay, oh, I'll okay. let you do all of this. But can we please have her eat something else? Yeah. Not the grandma. Not the grandma. Uh, yeah. So Alice is basically trapped, snowed in, in a house where their grandmother and her grandmother dies. There's a pet bunny. She ends up having to eat the pet bunny to survive. And I really think that that can... <laughs> that right there, if I had any psychopathy in me, would kind of draw that out. I just feel like that Ellis was born with probably antisocial personality disorder and that that was absolutely fed by the way that she lived her life and the things that happened to her and that that's how she finds that's how we find her here because the whole reason she came she comes to Dalloway to, in the beginning is Felicity. Bye Caitlin. Bye Caitlin. Because she, she reads the story about Felicity and Alex and so she has her big idea for her next novel, which is about a psychopath that kills, you know, it's basically the Dalloway Five, but Ellis 
is a method writer. And if you if you're you've probably heard the term more with the method actor. So it'd be somebody that does has to like get into character by doing the thing that their character does. So say you were cast as a fisherman, you would go out on fishing boats and be a fisherman uh, before you started filming whatever production you were going to be in. And in this case, Ellis does the things that she's going to write about. And so... It's always a great idea when you're talking about murder. Right. Yeah. Because in this case, Ellis does the murder. (laughs) So... (laughs) I mean, she almost kills Felicity in the beginning. Yeah. There, There are so many times where I feel like Ellis... Here's the thing, though. I I feel like Ellis did truly have some kind of whatever amount of her that could have an attachment had an attachment to Felicity. I don't know whether it was like as kind of her as a part of her big pet project or if there was like a real kind of Whatever love and affection she had, it was a very, Why, very Ellis dark version. Liked Felicity? Yeah. Ellis liked Felicity because she thinks that Felicity was a murderer. And she just became very intrigued with her. And she wanted to write this book. And so basically, she took on Felicity's personality and became a killer herself. I think Ellis was always a killer, though. She just hadn't found a reason to kill yet. And when she found that story and she dug deeper into it, she found a reason to kill. Or that just came to her. Like it, it might not have come to her in that. I think it was at any point, even if Felicity never existed, I, I really feel like uh, Ellis would have been a murderer at some point. Yeah. So I had this take uh, in a different section of the outline, but I'll just, I'll say it here. So keep in mind that when the rabbit killing incident happened, like Ellis was 10. She was 10 years old, trapped in a snow, snowed in cabin with her grandmother for three weeks. Grandma died during that time and she's trapped with a dead body and is resorts, runs out of food, is resorting to like, feral nature to literally to survival mode right to stay alive and had to kill her bunny to do it so yeah that obviously leaves an impression forever on you but so i think there's there's a hint there in that story that ellis like definitely has sociopathic tendencies at the very least but i think that the author is trying to compare ellis and felicity to each other so there's a part in the book where she's explaining her second novel, which you talked about, where she says, the novel, Ellis to Felicity, it's a character study. I want to explore the graduations of human morality, how indifference can slide into evil, because this is what happened to Ellis as a kid in that cabin. What drives a person towards murder? And I want to interrogate the concept of the psychopath, whether villainy exists in that truest form or it is simply a manifestation of some human drive that lurks in all of us. This is literally the plot of Killing Eve. (laughs) I just have to put that out there. And 
it is how Ellis sees Felicity, but it also is Felicity or, or Ellis profiling herself. So to me, Ellis seems like a psychopath, especially from the way Felicity interprets Ellis. So this whole thing is like Ellis saying, oh, I'm really here to study you, but it's Ellis also like snitching on herself, right? I think her and Felicity are actually like near mirror images of each other when it comes to like their darkness and their like past of like slipping into that darkness, the villainy as like Ellis um, calls it. And it's something that whether they know it or not, tethers the two of them to each other. And I think Ellis is the first to recognize that. That's why she went there. She's like, oh, you were in this situation too? Like what drove you to do it? Cause I just killed the buddy, you killed the person. Um, I didn't kill my grandma. We don't know that. Grandma just died. Who knows? Um, did she? Huh? Or did she? Right. We don't know. Uh, so I, I think that they, over time, I think Ellis is the first to recognize this thing they have in common, their darkness, but Felicity, it takes her longer. Like at the end, she recognizes they're bas- they're very similar. Like, okay, we both have this thing in common. We both will dip into villainy. Sure. And, um, and then Ellis, what else did she say? Ellis says this other thing too, that kind of also hints at the fact that her and Felicity are similar. It's during one of their midnight coven excursions with the other girls. And Ellis comments about the other girls after like manipulating them into whatever it was they were doing. And she says, look how easily they give over to their emotions. Like indicating that like Ellis doesn't give into emotions. Felicity doesn't give into their emotions. They're more like detached from all those things. Cause like that's part of their psychosis, right? So. I think they're both set up as like sociopath, psychopath. I don't think psychopath is a really good term for anything, but like at least sociopathic at baseline where like emotions don't drive them. It's more like Ellis is very like logical about the method writing. And then Felicity is more so just like trying to avoid her darkness, but then ultimately is like, I can't avoid this. This is who I am. Yeah. I don't think any of it. I don't think their mental health whatever fits into a box either correct but we all have these labels that we put on things to make it easier to identify and categorize because that's how humans function and determine what's a threat and what's not a threat so i feel like That, I don't know. I just feel like there's so many things that I would see Ellis. I like that that what you said about them being so similar because they are. I just I do feel like Felicity has more ability to form attachment in a in a, a more quote-unquote normal way than Ellis does and that she feels she actually does feel guilt and you know remorse and things of that nature whereas I don't feel like Ellis does I, I think Felicity does until she kills Ellis because at the end with Ellis she's like 
you know, thank you, really. Like, this, I was always supposed to be like this, and you just made me yeah. see the light of day. And then in the three-year post-period when she's describing her current relationship, there is no emotion whatsoever there. And she's like, I can right. kill you right now, and it won't even matter. So, like, I think she, like... <laughs> detaches herself fully and it's like is she having these attachments to people because that's what society wants her to do like or is it just she lost Alex and was like this is too painful I can't even cope with this like no more attachments ever like this is what I feel like is that she had the ability to attach normally until the point where like you said, she did something that tipped her over the edge into just ex into completely. I don't think that she's a sociopath. I just think that she got to that point. I think she has sociop sociopathic tendencies. Mm -hmm. And then once she got to that point where she committed a murder and killed Ellis, who she had an attachment to after that, it was like, all right, well, Basically, like, this is what I'm going to be now. Thanks for... And I, I think... Because she's still 18 at the time that she did this. Mm -hmm. You have no idea who the fuck you are at 18. I don't care if you did murder somebody or not. I'm pretty sure that makes it more murky. So, when she says, thank you for showing me, you know, basically may helping me become who I am, I think that that's what she thinks she is. And that there's a lot more complexity to it than that and then later on she's she's because she's not very far out when we see her again in this relationship she's i think that at some point in her life she's gonna kind of like have some kind of crisis of oh my god i'm having emotions like what are those again like something's gonna happen to her later in life where she actually comes back to this whole thing and really has to confront the emotions she has not acknowledged for 90 90 bajillion years that's something i'd like to see actually this is literally the plot of killing you if you're describing villanelle right now <laughs> I like know, literally right? <laughs> that is exactly that's that's exactly what this is i don't know um, killing you yet. that's okay not yet did you have a hot take on this caitlin with felicity in the future oh yeah she's heading back to the mental institution well, she's really taken on her serial killer thing. She might um, try to write a book later about the, this person going to a school and she wrote about the, the Dalloway. Yeah, I yeah, love she it. wrote the book. I'm still on this theory, so sorry, Victoria. No, I mean, is it not what Doctor Ortega said? Like, make up a lie that's easier to cope with reality. So she wrote this book we're reading. I feel like Victoria would be super jazzed to hear your theory, or like, not to like see that because that's the thing is when you create art, it's you put it out in the world. It means what it means to you, but upon putting it into the world you know that people are going to interpret it in ways that make sense to them. So that's all you've done is you've taken this book as piece of literature and you've interpreted, interpreted it in the way that your brain works. So yeah, my brain works very dark <laughs> and related it to your, I but, related it to your own experiences. Yeah. I don't think that's very dark. No, I think that's it's just, not. 
I think here's the thing. We like to say that things like having staying, you know, in a mental institution or having those kinds of it's it's just something that it's so much more common than people want to think it is. And the fact that people won't talk about it is the reason that it's not viewed in with a lens of as the kind of sympathy and empathy that it needs to be because the stigma attached to it is so heavy. So no, I freaking do not think that that's that dark. No. And also just in general, when whether you like to think you're not doing this or not, anytime you interpret anything, you are putting your own bias into it because when you're interpreting art, like you're, you will relate to it or not based on your own personal experience. Like that is what you are comparing things to like your experience or like things you've read about or learned about. Like if you don't know, have any knowledge of whatever the material is that you're looking at, you, you will have to try to relate to it with something that, you know, so like you're putting your own bias into it, whether you want to or not, that's just how reality works and like interpretation of stuff. So like what you just did is, that is how you view art. Like you put your own spin into it and then like interpret it through that lens that you have that's unique and is, that is yours. So great job, Caitlin. I love your take on this because it's it's awesome. It totally makes sense. And it's, it's it turns everything on its head. Yeah, and it makes it relatable too to like reality and, and sh- things that people go through. Like, you know, that's awesome. Yeah. I've never been shy about talking about that. Well, that's good because- Uh, that's the thing okay and i think that's also a really great thing to tie into the theme of this is a book that is not supposed to make you comfortable you're not supposed to feel comfortable for the entirety of this book towards the end you probably feel even more uncomfortable or if you're me you're like oh my god this is this is so great i can't like thinking about it for days and days although it did like you know when things affect you in a way that takes you to your own like darkness. That's like, uh, that's the thing where uh, I had the book and afterwards, like a week afterwards, I was like, I can't have this in my house right now. It was too relatable. It touches some, it touched something in me that I didn't want to deal with knowing that it was in the house i think i related to felicity too i was just gonna say that was literally her arc yeah yeah so don't kill anyone okay i listen i'm too lazy to kill anybody (laughs) that sounds like way too much work here's my pro my biggest problem with it is that you have to come up with a way to get away with it afterwards No, I, I obviously could not, honestly, the only way I could ever kill another human being is if they were threatening my life or the life of my loved ones. So, exactly. Um, We are not advocating for murder. I just need to put that in here so we don't get sued. Big energy does not endorse murder in real life. Fictional murder? Sure, go for it. Right, right to your heart's content. And is not formally accusing Victoria of murder. No, we are not formally Mm -hmm. accusing her of method writing or (laughs) etc. No, no, no. No defamation going. No defamation. (laughs) However, I do like the concept that Victoria killed somebody. No, the concept of method (laughs) writing in this instance. 
<laughs> no, I like how she used. Uh, I like how she used the concept of method writing in this instance. Yeah, it was clever. I never heard of method writing before. Method acting, yeah, like you mentioned earlier, but it makes there sense. Was like a heavy focus on method writing, which is where I came up with my theory. There you go. Yeah, exactly so not that as you should. Oh, oh. <laughs> Hilary! Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Anyway, moving on, Brie, before Caitlin gets us in trouble. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, uh, Dark Academia is uh, a small subgenre, shall we say. It's something that I really love because the atmosphere of this book, some people, I've seen some criticisms that they feel like the atmosphere of the book as far as you know, like elbow patches and tie and Ellis wearing, you know, ties and how it feels like night, a little bit like vintagey 1920s vibe, drinking whiskey out of, you know, these, these kids and the way that they talk, people feel like they're, that people this age wouldn't have this kind of, I'm like, I'm sorry. Like, I get where you're coming from with that, but I want to say, first of all, it's a work of fiction. And secondly, um, I did know people like this who, like, not like that wore jackets with, you know, leather patches on the elbows or anything, but like people that I, were friends of mine that we had discussions like these girls did about, you know, literature and things of that nature. Right. I don't understand where that's a stretch because look at the environment they're in. They're in yeah, this thank you. ancient house at this ancient school with all this history. And they're trying to emulate people like Emily Dickinson. Thank you. Like, I think it's so teenagery. Right. It's a, it's a teenage thing where you just like you learn about something cool in the past and then you try to emulate, emulate it. Like, it. That's that is a teenage thing. They're teenagers. Mm. They met Ellis, and so they tried to emulate Ellis because she was the cool one, the right. one that like published a, a you know groundbreaking novel at right. seventeen. Yeah. So, yeah. or like, it have makes you never a lot of sense have you never tried to dress like your hero? Mm-hmm. Like that's what they're doing. They're doing hero worshiping. Like that's exactly but, what mm-hmm. they're doing, and makes it really easy for Ellis to <laughs> manipulate them all. But <laughs> yeah, but I do you know, like. I I, sorry. I was just going to say you brought up part of my theory. What well, is it, Caitlin? something else in my theory. Because you said the house is old. Oh, I have a whole theme about the house and stuff. Okay, we'll talk. We'll do it later. Uh, Continue. I, wanna, I wanted to add the Dark Academia thing, too. Aside from, like, the aesthetics of it, I think that academia in our current society is something that's put on a pedestal. The idea of academia, the hierarchy of academia, the pursuit of higher education, all that stuff is put on this pedestal and just seen as purely good. But there is a there is a dark side to that. And I like that they form it into like obsession a little bit and the way the teachers talk about it. And they're almost like, yeah, push yourselves past your limits. That's totally fine. Because in the pursuit of higher academia, like in grad school and things like that, this is real. And like people, one of the most ironic things I've ever seen in like my life or lived through is like as somebody who's like was pursuing medical like healthcare 
and a graduate level and you're preaching all these things to people like you're taught to preach like hey like live healthy exercise do all these things in order for you to obtain that degree you have to forego all those things to achieve that in academia so like there is a darkness to academia of like sacrificing yourself to the pursuit of this one thing and I thought they hinted at that in, in conversations with some of the professors along the way. Like these girls, like even though it's like high school, like there's a lot of pressure put on them in this particular school to like succeed in their thesis, become Emily Dickinson. Like they they put these kids in a pressure cooker to like achieve high academia kind of thing. And like there's there's darkness to that. And it, it forms a little bit of psychosis where they're saying obsession's great. A- academic obsession. That's great. That's totally normal. It's healthy. No, it's not. Then kids forms like complexes and things like that. So I like that representation in here because you rarely get that. You only hear like the good propaganda piece about academia, not like the reality of like the struggle and like how damaging that narrative can be to people. Yeah. It's actually kind of a problem nowadays with the kids being under some, even not, not just in like a private school or, you know, whatever boarding school setting kids being under such, pressure to uh, reach these heights of academic excellence when there's they're doing things like buying Ritalin and (laughs) Adderall on the street just to be able to study the amount that they need to so I absolutely love that you brought that up because it's it is it is a thing that's not represented and I really really like that it is here um geez uh it also um lends itself to a more fluid idea of what you know what you can be and who you are in some ways that aren't normal in like a regular type school setting so I don't know. I feel like they play around a lot more with gender and and sexuality when you're in, uh, I guess, what like an intellectual type. Because this is almost like a salon in a way, like for teenagers. I feel like they're all sitting around in a in a French salon in the like twenties talking about literature. Yeah, they do like nightly poetry reading. Yeah, pass the poetry book and drink old fashions. Nobody likes because we're trying to we're trying to emulate something that the intellectuals did. Yeah. So, and as we know, sexuality and gender were a lot more fluid in that time period. Or no, fluid with these kind of people. Oh, oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. In the there was like a there was a class of young people called the bright young things that were these literary people who were in literature and art and they were rich and travel or some, in some cases, I feel like there were some of them that kind of rode the wave with their intellectual friends, but weren't from a play like a background of means, but the, the, these people, and I feel like this, it's reminded me so much of these people. And that's why I loved it so much because I'm kind of fascinated with the people in that time period that would go to Paris all of a sudden and just hang out in these cafes and talk about literature and just, you know, play around with sexuality and gender fluidity and things of that nature, because it was a little, it was like a more free, uh, it was just a more free environment to be in. But at the same time, I feel like it was also 
could also be clicky. So it's just a really interesting to me parallel to that to that that kind of group. If you look them, if you look that up, like the bright young things, you'll see all the pictures of them hanging out in cafes and things like that. And um, that's one of the images I could never get out of my head because I researched a lot about the people that did that back in the day that were a part of that society. It was not like a hard and fast, like there's not like an actual society. It's not, there are no like actual bounds that says, oh, we're in this group. It's just a kind of a loose collective of people who were more artistically bent. And I think you find that in any time period in history that the artists congregate and have those kinds of uh, discussions and groups and things of that nature. But that's what it really reminded me of, like a teenage version of that. Like you said, that they were emulating and trying to be a part of, but that's the thing that really interested me about it is because I don't feel like anybody in this entire story would give a crap, really, that they were queer. It's society outside the school that would care. And that's the only thing that Felicity was ever worried about was like her mom and whatever and what her mom would worry about everyone else thinking. So as far as that's concerned, the sexuality and gender, um, you have Quinn representing the non-binary or who is the non-binary character in the story. Uh, there's going to be probably I've seen a little bit of criticism here and there that that people feel Quinn was just thrown in for to fill that quotient or quota or whatever to have that there. Just like people have said that um, they feel like the whole like little bit of the story with Leone talking about being African-American to Felicity and explaining how that is in this is like in society and also at Dalloway was just thrown in for as like a, well, here's this, like, like these people feel like it didn't serve any purpose except to say, well, Hey, tokenism, I guess. But I, I didn't feel like I didn't feel that way myself. I just, I felt like a lot. Like it just didn't matter. Like the, which one, Caitlin? Go on, talk, speak up. Um, I mean, Quinn, there was really no point for Quinn to be there except to talk about the rabbit. And then, I don't know, I just, I feel like the whole, like, queer storylines just didn't really have I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, I agree with what you're saying in a sense that, like, because Quinn, again, the, the, the limitation here is that this is all from, like, Felicity's point of view. 
and not from like Ellis who like grew up with Quinn and like grew up with two moms. That's like the other piece of representation in this in the story. So like dem- I think the point is really to just dem- it's not really about Quinn and it's really not about like non-binary representation so much. I think it's more so about Ellis and fleshing out Ellis. So I think that's why it kind of feels like shoehorned in having Quinn and like the because like we don't know anything about her moms really. She just she has two moms. We don't know a heck of a lot about Quinn. But it's, it's more sort of flesh out Ellis. So I can see why, like, if you're looking for non-binary representation, this is not the best piece of media for that. I think it's great that Quinn exists, but it's Quinn exists to flesh out Ellis. So I can see that. Leonie, I completely disagree with. I think there is a point to that. And it's not fleshing out anybody except her, the character. That's a little bit different because we get more time with Leonie through like Felicity's lens versus like Quinn. And we meet Quinn. Quinn tells the rabbit story. Quinn makes a few drinks. Then Quinn leaves. So, like, I can see the Quinn perception more than, like, the Leonie thing. Because, like, with, um, who is it? Uh, the other girl. Kajal? Kajal is also, like, another, like, woman of color. But, like, we don't get, like, the ethnic background with her as much as we do get uh, with Leonie. But Leonie has a actual tie to this school that is relevant to the story. Like, her grandmother was the first African-American woman to be at this school that's a big deal so she has a tether to Dalway and like a lot of the stuff in this story like one of the themes I wanted to bring up is like there's this huge theme of like romanticizing the past that's throughout this whole story there is a romanticization of the past existing and so like Leonie has like this reality tether and roots with this school where she is a legacy of the past. Like her grandmother was the first, like she's a legacy of this whole whole school. Whereas like Felicity feels like she's tethered to the school because of her, her mental association with and obsession with Marjorie, who is a historical piece of this school. So it's like, it's almost like they're comparing the two of them. Again, that's kind of fleshing out Felicity, but it's also showing like reality versus this fictional feeling of like, I'm rooted in the past kind of thing. Bye, Caitlin. Bye, Caitlin. And, like, it manifests in Ellis, too, and, like, what you were saying, like, the young girls trying to, like, be, like, the literary geniuses of the past and being, like, adult for their age because they're so intellectual, like, um, and there's another piece, too, where, like, Ellis seems, like, super obsessed with the past, at least from Felicity's point of view, where she's like, I don't use cell phones. And, like, I'm always dressing like I'm from a century before my time. I'm going to take you to an antique shop. And, like, all the girls just go along with this. They're like, yeah, I don't need a phone either. Like, the past is so cool, you know? So it, it's it's evident, too, in, like, the way I wanted to bring up here how Godwin House is first described by Felicity. So I think it like really highlights it the best where they talk about the fact that like Godwin House is basically falling apart. (laughs) Like it's like completely slanted and like all this stuff. But like the girls every year fight so hard to keep it the way it is. They don't want it renovated. They don't want the rooms expanded. And they, she says the line where like, she's like, Godwin House belongs to us. Like all these famous people stayed here. Um, who are parts of history and she's like all that history is included in its gnarled skeleton which I love that line and it's almost like she's saying that like you know the the past should be like put on a pedestal and it should be preserved and like things have tethers to the past 
And that past can be a good thing because you can feel a connection, but it can also haunt you at the same time. Like every time when she's in the house, she's always like, I feel like there are ghosts watching me like around every corner, like the past, like meaning like the past is always there because this house has so much history to it. Um, and uh, I forgot where I was going with that. And yeah, and, and that's why they go to antique shops because they're like, oh, this thing was like, it's a part of the past. It has memories like it. it came from a better time like Alice said at one point during the book don't you wish we could go back to a different time kind of thing so there's like this like romanticization that the past was great but also like in reality it, it does haunt you and causes grief and like all these things so it's complicated basically very yes I feel like everything in the book is complicated but I'm I agree with everything you said the house is a character. Yeah, totally. And I love the how they not only inhabit it, but it inhabits them. Yeah. The characters. Especially Felicity. Like I feel like because at one point she says, I am um where is it? I think I highlighted it. Um here I at least here. The walls know me, the floors, the soil. Yeah, I am rooted at Dalloway. Dalloway is mine. So I feel like that the, she feels that way even more so about Godwin House and that I feel like she kind of merges with the house in some ways. So it it it's almost like a parallel of her as well, mm-hmm. being haunted. Yeah, totally. And and think about Felicity. She's an isolated girl who doesn't have roots with anybody. So like she's tethered. Again, that's like metaphorically her roots are in the past, not the present. Like, and so she feels comfortable with the house because she has a history with the house kind of thing, but no human, which is really sad. And And partially how she gets manipulated so easily is she doesn't have a support system. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think it's also kind of it also becomes pretty evident how she it's almost like she sees herself as part of the school itself Mm -hmm. rather than uh, a person at some points because she talks about the the students around her when school starting she talks about the students in in a certain way when she says uh she's talking about the third and fourth girls girls who might prefer oats to shelly all caught to Alanade, girls who know nothing of blood and smoke, the darker kinds of magic. So I really feel like she's saying that these these people are just transient, come and go. They're students here, nothing else than that. Like they're going to read literature, they're going to graduate, they're going to whatever, and they're going to go away. But I'll always, this is me. Like I am, Dalloway's the only place I know, and I am it, basically. Yeah, that's really great. It's like Dalloway is haunted, and so am I. Mm-hmm. That's really good. Thank you. Yeah, good absolutely. Um, there's so many great like little pieces to pull from everything in this book. Like even going back to when she first act because she's in the house with Ellis for days before they ever actually interact, mm-hmm. which I think is a very big on on ellis's part to draw her in yeah and then basically she draws her into a certain point and then shuts her out 
and then and then just kind of goes on her way and lets Felicity come to her even more. So it's kind of like, well, it was Felicity's idea to get closer. Because um, at one point she actually shuts the door in her face. <laughs> it's like, adios. But um, because that leads to this point where she goes, I don't know why she's here early. I don't know why she won't tell me her name. I don't know why she never speaks to me or who she is, but I want to find a loose thread on the collar of her shirt and tug. Yeah. I want to unravel her. Yep. Yeah. That was the start of like Felicity's obsession with, uh, Mm -hmm. with Ellis. And that's a really good point that you brought up that it seems natural from Felicity's perspective, but likely was just manufactured by Ellis because she understood how Felicity operates because that's how Ellis operates. Oy vey. Yeah, great point. I love that line. Victoria's writing is beautiful. It is beautiful. It's so it's poetic just, and yeah. It's got a lyric a lyrical quality to it in yes. some places that really Yeah. Like I feel like people could take parts of this book and write an entire song around a paragraph or something. Oh yeah. Yeah. Her so. descriptive phrases are really great. That cannot be denied. No. So we kind of talked about the themes in the book and the characters. And now I have some discussion questions, which (laughs) apparently Caitlin has all the answers. Not really. (laughs) You have answers, Caitlin. You've got answers. So they're just uh, like start with Felicity is an unreliable narrator. Do you feel like that affected your understanding of the book? How do you feel like that affected your understanding of the book? Do you want to go first, Caitlin? My only thought is I barely understood the book. (laughs) You understood the book. I don't didn't see her as an unreliable narrator in the beginning because I didn't know what that was. So until last night, it affected me nothing. That's my answer. Fair but, enough. But you know, well, she's she's kind of mentally ill, so I understand the book more now. Alrighty then. Kind of. Um. So I think that the unreliable narrator um, makes the book frustrating and interesting because you will never know what is true because Felicity proves throughout the entire book that you you only know her thoughts. And so you don't know what's real and what isn't neither because she doesn't really. So it did affect like my perception of the book because I didn't you know I didn't know that until I got to the chapter where essentially she's explaining the whole mountain story of Alex dying and she had to cut the tether and Alice tells her Alex drowned what are you talking about and that's when you're like okay what the fuck because then you had like start second guessing everything you're reading because you're like wait what did I read is this real is this not real like what could this mean then if it's not real so it, like it, it engages it engaged me with the book because then I had to like really think about everything Felicity is thinking and saying and being like, is this real? Does this mean something else? 
and like the way other people talk because they might be more reliable than like Felicity, who's like thoughts I'm hearing to be like, "Mm, maybe this is because again, Felicity has no self-awareness of herself, really. It's, It's very limited. So other people's perception of her sometimes is helpful <laughs> to like figuring out what exactly is going on. Mm-hmm. And um, I think one thing in the whole murder plot that really like highlighted that for me and like put the book into perspective when I was like trying to figure this out was when um, Ellis was describing the um, the method writing and like her book on the Dalloway Five and how they had to replicate the murders and why that was important. And Felicity is basically fighting her back and she's saying, we're not murdering people like for your book. That's insane. And Ellis tells her like, yes, but the murders don't need to be exact replications. We both know historical representation of historical representation of fact is more or less political propaganda. She's like, yeah. We need to find out ways for the five to have died that approximate their recorded causes of death. And then she says, a story told again and again is never the same story as the original. And so one of the things that kept like repeating in Felicity's brain was how Alex died. And every time she remembers how Alex died, the story evolves every single time she remembers it or tells it to other people. So, oh, go ahead. Cause, you know, cause it also follows the order that Brie wrote the Dalloway Five. Oh, yeah, that's part of Caitlin's theory. Because Brie wrote first murdered, then hanged, Roddy broken on a stone floor, and then drowned. And basically the first thing we learned is that Alex was murdered, and then people think that Felicity um, tried to kill herself, and then we learn that she thinks that Alex fell to her death, but then she really drowned. Then we find that Felicity is really Marjorie and murdered her. I'm done. Go ahead. So what Caitlin is saying is that Felicity is like the stories that she's telling herself about Alex and how Alex died and all that is she's making running off of the stories of the Dalloway Five that she knew in her brain. And so again, that's obsessed with them, huh? Because she was obsessed with them and took on their personality. Yes. Um, But also, again, it's this theme of just, like, you never really know what happened in the past either. Because, you know, unless it's recorded with accuracy. And remember, people are recording things. So there's bias there unless you're filming it, which didn't happen in the 1600s. Like, and that story got told over and over again. Like, even, like, the testimonies from the trial of the witches was never, like clear-cut if that was even real like the historical record she went through in the library was never really real so it's just like a way to show that like even you don't know your own truth sometimes because if you keep replaying the past over and over again like it's gonna twist and evolve until it's the truth is unrecognizable even to yourself and that is what's happening with felicity and so you never really know what is going on in the story because like felicity doesn't really know what's going on and it's just she keeps spiraling and just can't recognize the truth at the end of the day like it's a cool narrative. Yes. Um, I really... I'm like you. I was kind of just... I was cool and I was reading and reading and reading. And then all of a sudden, um, Victoria Lee pulls the literary version of an M. Night Shyamalan. And... Yeah. 
<laughs> just turns turns everything around so you have to review what you know and i absolutely love media like that where you really never know what the truth is because i have this thing in my life which is part of all of my crazy up here where you're where sometimes i'll stop and be like wait i have to make sure i'm real and everything else is like is that real am i actually like experiencing this or is this just all some kind of and uh, but okay i feel like a lot of people do that occasionally but I get into the, it's when you get to the point where you're really actually questioning your reality that it gets a little dicey. So, and then that leads you into a somewhat nihilistic point of view of the world or can. And then that's when the danger starts. But um, it's like I have to take a little bit of this kind of stuff at a time and not dwell on it too much, which in the beginning when I picked this book or when I suggested this book, I was like, should you really revisit this? Hmm. It's like I can only watch uh, series three and four of Skins once every couple of years because otherwise I get it's not a it's not a good look, but because um, there's a lot of mental health themes in that one as well but it's just the kind of thing that really draws you in if you have a tendency to like to question everything and that's what i liked about what she did or believe victoria lee identifies as she they yes okay so um i think that's what they meant like meant to happen is for you to question every single sentence and word that comes out of Felicity. So, uh, good job. You've achieved that. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and and that can be fun or frustrating, depending oh, on your take. Yeah. It's not a bu- That's the thing is, I feel like it's not a book for everyone. Because people, people hear thriller and they're like, oh, cool. So somebody's going to be like trying to murder people. I'm like, no, this is the book. This is a book where you question reality, Sanity. reality in general. So, I feel like part of this is questioning if Felicity's mental instability is a result of trauma, or was that something that existed before Alex's death? Obviously, it did because Alex it's referenced, but to the degree that it is at that point at the point in the book where we start i feel like alex's death affected it i feel like there was always this that instability was there but alex's death and everything that followed put it in a big danger zone yeah I totally agree with you. There's this line in there that I thought was really, really great when Felicity is explaining, like, mentally her um, grief over Alex, where she says, I understand the concept of sense memory, 
but understanding isn't preparation, which that is such a real line. Like just like understanding isn't preparation is such a real line, but it's referencing exactly what you're talking about. And if you don't know what sense memory is, it's the perception of sight, hearing, smell, taste, and touch information entering the sensory uh, of your brain. It only lasts milliseconds and mostly occurs outside of conscious awareness. So like while after Alex's death, Felicity essentially went to quote unquote, the mental institution, if you're on Caitlin's theory and was there for a bit, then goes back to Dalloway, right? And then she's in Godwin House. So she's in the place where it all happens, where she can have sense memory because she's in the physical building. She's going to go back to the libraries, the classrooms, walk the quad where she was with Alex, see Clara, who looks exactly, Clara, sorry, who looks exactly like Alex. So she's going to get sense triggered of the past, right? And that's kind of what starts happening where she's kind of like, then she starts having all these things where she's like, wait, I'm suddenly remembering the past. I'm I'm at that party where Alex was, you know, when she died, I'm reliving it. Like now I'm remembering things. So like, and she, it's so it's unconscious that it's happening. So that starts messing with her mentally. So yeah, I think the death of Alex definitely triggered her because part of what's happening with Felicity too, is just like uh, that a normal human thing is just coping with grief, like a huge loss of somebody. Um, And that's manifesting in Alex, quote unquote, haunting her because she's dealing with this grief. And because she like has told herself a story to cope with how Alex died and like absolve her kind of of the part she played in it, as she remembers things, she then has to deal with her guilt over it. And like she she like has this guilt about Alex, but doesn't understand why until she fully gets the picture of like how Alex died. So it's like this cool progression thing that victoria lee does but the death is definitely the trigger for her psychosis and then like processing the reality of how alex died is like the other piece that really cements um felicity's uh mental illness versus like she doesn't heal she almost like just like sinks into it and buries herself there kind of burying alive like marjorie marjorie did right but like mentally speaking and now we're back to why didn't someone get this girl real mental help where she didn't go back to Dalloway and <laughs> get triggered by everything. I think like, well, didn't her mom try to send her back. somewhere else? And she's like, yeah. no. And I think the mom yeah. just doesn't know or care enough to like stand her ground on that and be like, this is, you're not in the right state of mind for this trust. You're going to get triggered. Like really, like you need a clean slate. Like she's just like, whatever, dear, I don't want to deal with you. I also wonder how much, like, how much control did she have of of Felicity's decision-making in reality? I mean, she had the money, the purse strings, so without without that, Felicity wouldn't have really been able to do anything, but she's also 18, so she could have done whatever she wanted. Exactly. And, like, Mama wasn't going to pull her out of school, because, like... Mama doesn't want to deal with her, basically. Yeah, she doesn't want to deal with her. She doesn't want to complicate her own life. Correct. Bullshit. Having a dropout daughter in high society Mm -hmm. is not good. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. That would complicate mom's life. Having a daughter in the mental institution was probably bad enough. enough, And she probably lied to all of her friends about it anyway. She's, you know, on a vacation. (laughs) Which is very, would be very tragic and awful, period. Yeah. But, yeah. Completely. Yeah. I, Caitlin, did you have a hot take on uh, Alex's death and how that affected Felicity 
Like, do you think she actually murdered Alex, or do you think that it really was an accident? Oh, dang. We talked about that. Sweet. Um, considering I think it's a mental institution, she was in a mental institution the year she met Alex, and she was sent there, and while she was there, she latched on to Alex and kind of became obsessed with her. You're going in and out. Yeah, we can't really hear you. Speak up or hold the mic, please. I don't understand. I think you were just, like, talking low and it wasn't picking you up. It's because I'm not confident in anything I'm saying. What you're saying is, it's, come on, you got it. It's good. Go. Yeah. Because she was in the mental institution already. She got obsessed with Alex. And that is why she eventually just became too obsessed. And I don't know how Alex actually died, but... If Alex died at all, maybe Alex just left. Left the mental institution. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, that that was another theory because people leave and then... And in, and in Felicity's mind, she would have just died. Right. I'll never yeah. see her again. She's dead. And yeah. then she did go to a mental institution. So I think she got out and her mom tried to send her to a new place or like like a midway place kind of. To try to see if they could do it without her having to go all the way back in. And her mom tried to send her to a new place, but she'd rather go into a place that she already knows because these places are freaking terrifying. And it's better to at least know somewhere, even if you know other people who know your past there. Yeah, absolutely. It's less triggering when you're familiar with the environment and like the schedule and like the people you're going to see, like you're a therapist and things like that. I would imagine. I also feel like her mom did love her. She just had no idea what to do. So she's like, if I send her this, this is what I can do to do what she wants in a way, but still get her help. Yeah. That's a, that's gotta be a real struggle for the kin you know, who, their life has changed, too, and, like, they they don't know how to help, and, you know, that's isolating, too, for her mother. Because as we've discussed, we're seeing everything through Felicity, who's an unreliable narrator, and her mom is also a person we're seeing through her reception of her, so. Correct. We don't know if that's actually the case with her mom or not. She thinks that she's not there for her because... Her mom can't really be. Not with her in that mental state. Yeah. There's also, like, a really great line in chapter one that lends to, like, this whole story that I thought was really great. And it's a quote from Hill House, like, Shirley Jackson's Hill House, where it says, No living organism can continue for long to exist solely under the conditions of absolute reality. So it, like, sets the stage immediately that, like, this book is not about reality. So your theory very very much may be true because Felicity cannot cope with reality because her reality was so traumatic to her that she's just living in this, like, in her brain. And her brain is, like, creating fantasies of all kinds. 
and it's true like sometimes reality is too is too hard that's why we like are drawn to art we are drawn to our imagination sometimes to like mentally escape it for a little bit and think about something better or something different to like cope with reality that can be harsh and difficult and brutal at times to endure and that's why dissociative identity disorder exists as a to as a trauma response so yeah totally and like i think another another aspect of what's going on with felicity too could potentially be like again just like coping with grief and this concept um it's like almost like a fear of fascination with felicity of just like forgetting someone over time like she has these constant thoughts about alex and like forgetting the past where she's like um I think she says one, I wonder if we all fade from memory so quickly after we pass. I wonder if one day I'll forget what Alex sounded like too, where it's like survivor's guilt slash this just like, hmm, people really do move on from the past too quickly. And it's kind of like, she's annoyed with like the modern day Marjorie Coven, which is just like, this is all fake and whatever versus like Marjorie's real coven, who was like an actual sisterhood of like, you know, doing spells quote unquote in the forest. And like, so Felicity has this, weird relationship with the past but this fear of just like the past getting forgotten so I think it's partially why she's drawn to things that are tethered to memories that she can tap into because I think she's coping with like Alex is gone no more new memories with Alex like Alex will fade from memory will I fade from memory one day like you know which is a very real thing that we all kind of go through at one point or the other and like the part where and I think Ellis plays on that too later when she brings her to the grave and she's like, Hey, like I was trying to give you closure. Like you never had closure with this, you know, mm. which she was definitely manipulating her that whole time. But like, that's a thing, right? Just like trying to have closure with the past. Cause she's clearly haunted by Alex, like seeing ghosts and like hearing Alex's voice in the back of her head. It's almost like Alex is like her consciousness in a way, because again felicity has no self-awareness of herself sometimes she gets really lost in like whatever it is she's obsessed with and alex is almost like her consciousness and like will alex will i forget her voice it's like will i forget my consciousness if i go too far into the darkness is the other like read on that too alice just leads her further in alice is like be like me that's what alice's whole deal is but in a way where it is, where Felicity has no idea that that's what's happening. Not she thinks that she's choosing things, but she's not really. Um, like I said, the cut, the coyote. Or the, the oh shooting. yeah, that was the most yeah. explicit gaslighting. It really was. She manip- like gaslights her into, and manipulates her into doing. I mean, and there were several reasons for that, or a couple of reasons for that. It's, just getting Felicity to go to that point where she would kill something and also getting her fingerprints on the gun. Yep. Um, so it just fed, it served, it's two birds with one stone for Ellis on that one. But, uh, did you guys see Ellis's betrayal coming? I thought it didn't. Apparently I did. Caitlin's got receipts. I do. <laughs> she does. <laughs> so at 7.15 on October 14th, I wrote, I feel like people are going to die in this book. Then at 7.41, I wrote, 
And at that point, I'm like, all of this is not past chapter 12. I said, I predict they're all going to die except Felicity. That's her name, right? And it's going to end up stuck. And it's going to end up her stalking these people, thinking she becomes friends with them because she is delusional. But really, she is a serial killer, but doesn't know it mentally. Or, or, Ellis is the serial killer. Can we do this with dino nuggets? Oh, she just said it was <laughs> that That's when you asked us if we could do it with dino nuggets. Yes. It's like, I don't know if reenacting murders with dino nuggets <laughs> is. I mean, like, I would, like, be down to do that. I just don't know how it would go over. <laughs> Bye, Caitlin. Caitlin's like, we can't do it. Bye. Bye. <laughs> I like. Rejection. I just got two packages of Dino Nuggets today. I need more. I've got two in my freezer. Damn. They were on sale, like fifty percent off. You may have deal. a Felicity level obsession. Yes, but also, dear friends at home listening, this is a receipt that Caitlin does know stuff mm-hmm. because Caitlin sent that message to us before she was done reading the book, and so Caitlin, you are perceptive and good at reading stuff. I just don't remember any of it after I'm done. You gotta write it because down. Because that's a whole different problem. Yeah. That's a whole that's different problem. I mean, I yeah. highlighted stuff and then I forgot to go back and highlight it because I was preparing for the other episode too. And we have a lot going on. When I on. read, I don't think that anything else is going on. And I just took everything that Felicity was saying as the truth. So, and that's, that's why I'm struggling. That's okay. That's a way to read, like, process the book also. And obviously, yeah. you were picking up on all of the hints that were going on because you sent us that, which is exactly what yeah. happens in the book. Yeah. I mean, everything that I do always ends up with everybody dying in the end anyways. But you were right here. I know. I don't understand how. But you just picked I it was. Up. Yeah. So everyone said love to Caitlin. Caitlin was right. So I you... Mean- you definitely saw Ellis's betrayal coming, for sure. I feel like when when you read stuff, you notice it, and you just don't process it in that moment because other things happen, and then you get distracted. So I think it ha- that you do see these things and recognize them, but it's kind of like the the same thing with like we were talking about sense memory, like you don't, a lot of it, it's happening in a part of your consciousness that isn't front and center. Right. So. I need to do what I did with Motherland and just literally write out all my thoughts while I read it. Yes. That's one way to do it. (laughs) Yes. That's literally what this is. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing is, my commentary is smart, apparently. It is. Yes. Like we, we would have to, I would have to do the same thing. Like, I read the book before and forgot everything. Yeah. Except for a couple of things. I couldn't even remember the ending of the book, which is a huge, like, it, like the ending is, like, a big thing. So. Yeah. It's okay. I totally forgot what happened at the very end until last night. I was like, oh, yeah, there's a three years later thing. Yeah. But also, um, it's very hard to visualize for me, I'm so used to watching TV and having so much development and being able to see it that you can see like the little, like the ways they look at each other. And like, there's so many other things to help you catch on to things but when you yeah. read. And especially because my brain never shuts off 
So I'm always like, oh, but I have to do that for the podcast. And that and then I think what we've learned is Caitlin's more of a visual learner. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um yeah, and some people really do like those visual and or uh audio cues to pick up on things and that's completely fine i mean that's like it's just another way of being you know yeah everybody learns things differently yeah well i mean and just like and also kind of funny just like felicity everybody when you read anything you're putting your own reality into it so that's just like we said before but did you see it coming theora uh, yeah, I, the again, when Ellis, like I mentioned earlier, when she's describing her second novel as like, I want to explore the psychopath. And I was like, well, dear, you well, just called yourself out. Right. This because like literally this is exactly what Killing Eve is like. Exactly. Like this is Eve Palastri and her journey. And she's profiling herself by profiling the psychopath. So like I was just like, I'm pretty sure that's what's happening because this is all the same. They're too similar. And like all these things. So I was like, I'm pretty sure this is going to be a Killing Eve story. And it kind of was. Was Eve just killing killing out? <laughs> you got to watch the show, Caitlin. I'm not rooting the deliciousness of it. But it's about essentially about this. It's about dipping into your own darkness and discovering what that is and finding a kinship with somebody in that journey. And then betrayal happens and things like that. That's basically the story, like, from if you remove the mental stuff that's happening. There's another thing, too, like that I didn't pick up at first, but in hindsight was, like, major foreshadowing is when they have the, the tea leaf reading. And Ellis does the tea leaf reading of Felicity's tea leaves. And it's read as messages of death and betrayal. And like Felicity puts her own bias on it at that moment where she's like, oh, this is about Alex. But really it's about her and Ellis who are about to like murders about to happen in multiple ways. And then there will be a betrayal, which is Ellis betraying Felicity, Felicity betraying Ellis. So like the tea leaf reading was like another one. So yes, I saw it coming for sure. Cause I my own bias read this as another piece of media that was very similar, and then the tea leaf reading. That this book helped me figure out something else that happened in a TV show that I don't want to ruin. Okay. Oh yeah, I did. <laughs> what TV show? Warrior Nun. Oh. Gotcha. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I think there were. Oh, way too many red flags for me not to be like mm. Mm. Ella. Like I was sus of Ellis from the start, just because of the way she acted around Felicity. I was like, "You are you have a plan of some sort. Like it's pretty obvious on the way you're acting." I just I just saw everything that she did as manipulation, and I don't know if that's. Because I'm paranoid about manipulation because of past relationships, but <laughs> I mean, like read everything she did as a manipulation. Yeah, it's very obvious with like the way the other girls act around her, where like they'll have an opinion and then quickly back off their own opinion to agree with whatever right. else is doing, and like their demeanor changes when she comes into the room. So, yeah, definitely. And you're not hallucinating that's definitely there. I do feel like. Felicity what to Ellis Felicity is a cut above everyone else obviously because 
of reasons, but the way that she did things like Felicity leaves the party. Oh, well, Alice leaves the party. It's like she didn't make it seem like she was seeking Felicity out, but she obviously was at all times centered around her plans and Felicity. So. It's just like one of the, it's just one of those things. I just felt like it was a little too obvious for me not to get it. I could see how other people may not if you're reading a straight interpretation of everything, but if you're paranoid, if, if since I'm paranoid of everyone's motives, character-wise, there you go. But, um... Yeah. Does anybody else have anything to say about that before we move on? Um, no. Alright, so how did you feel about the representation of sexuality and gender in the book? I feel like we talked about this. We did a little bit. A little bit. Um, I like that it wasn't the focus, like personally, because in the sense that it wasn't the conflict, like the like a tr- traditional boarding school story where being gay is the ultimate sin and like that's the horror trauma. Like Felicity's trauma had nothing to do with any of that. And so I like that aspect that it wasn't a plot device. It was just, that's what these characters are like. There you go. Uh, I will say that Felicity is dis- is a fall gay, which is super relatable because Alex used to tell her she cared more about the aesthetics of autumn than about actual comfort, which is confirmation that Felicity is all about fall attire. And I love that. That's relatable. So accurate, yep. queer representation. Same. <laughs> for same, same, same. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so I love that. Each. <laughs> I'm so confused. Give me a good cardigan. Yeah, I love sweaters. I love pumpkin, mm-hmm. the actual food. And fall's the best. I love it. Fall is the best. Yeah. That's so. when you can break out your flannel. Yes, naturally. When <laughs> you're gay warrior you're not an outfit. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So I did um, love that. And it was a they had a diversity of just like representation in it, and it just wasn't the focus which i think i liked personally same i liked that it was there but we didn't have it like you said as a central conflict i did so it's not really a book where you can ship the characters you know i mean i guess you can i mean you can but i ship them (laughs) together in the afterlife who wait yeah no (laughs) felicity and ellis yeah okay that that makes sense Battery. Oh, yeah, you're about to go away, Caitlin. (sighs) What role did the occult play in this story? So we see Felicity was both comforted and afraid, comforted by and afraid of magic and and witchcraft, obsessed with, I would say, and also afraid of. But I think that that's all, was all, we've kind of established that that was it all in her head and um but i do want to highlight the way that ellis used the occult to achieve her goals like she just she took what she knew felicity was obsessed with and brought her back to that place even though felicity was like i probably shouldn't 
Like she do she does things like, well, I'll I'll take out my tarot cards, but you know, I won't do this. It's kind of it's kind of like an addict in the way that she tippy toed it back into be her obsession with the Dalloway Five and witchcraft and magic and how she feels like that all affected everything because she feels like it was a curse like she everything and it was her fault that the the ritual didn't get closed and then there's the the bit of symbolism with marjorie's marjorie's skull that's not really obviously marjorie's skull but um and towards the end she takes the skull and closes the ceremony or whatever closes the ritual with it as a way of like ending and having closure it's just like all right girl um there's this your view of magic and the occult isn't real it's just like hooked up in your brain there ma'am as a I don't know. I, I really liked the way that she, the author, used it in in this story. Um, because, like Caitlin says, she thought she was going to go into this and it was going to be like cool witches and magic, and I was really, really mental for that. <laughs> I was too. I was like, when does the magic start? When does Felicity write about the magic? That's not what happened. And then, like, part of me was like the two girls are the magic and everybody else isn't and then they're just gonna like play practical jokes on people <laughs> i mean hey you could write uh... and then it turned into murder which i'm not totally upset about but it could be like a magical murder i love you caitlin i'm not totally upset about the murder <laughs> no um <laughs> That was well, an evil laugh, Caitlin. It was a very evil laugh. I'm afraid for Vancouver now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if you start acting like Ellis, I'm out. <laughs> no, I was just thinking of the story I told you about the the alternative alternative ending I wrote for the boy in the blue striped. Oh, oh right. right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pajamas. Oh, alt endings. That's the I thing you should a lot you should worse. write a fan fiction for this book where. It's the alt an alternative version an AU. That's an idea. Yeah, then you can make the story though. what you want. No, we don't have time. No, <laughs> <laughs> time. but it's a cool thing stories. to think about. Yeah, that's my thing. Is yeah. I yeah, exactly. That's the whole. I world. have fun things I want to edit, and I don't have time to do those. <laughs> I feel like we're the kind of people that think about a project and are like, "That would be really cool to do that." Does someone do that? Does someone do that? That would be cool. But that's my thing is I always think of really cool story ideas or ideas that I think are cool story ideas. But then I'm like, I don't want to write it. I want to read it. Somebody else needs to write it. That's so relatable. (laughs) Because if I have to write it, it's never going to get done. Well, I mean, if I have to write it, it's not going to be fun (laughs) anymore. There is a book I want to write that's about murder. (laughs) So Caitlin's cool with the murder. She's method um, writing. She's method writing the murder. Watch out. Um, Secondhand. It's based on a true story. Well, we'll look forward to that. Yes. um, Back to the occult. Did you have any more hot takes on the witchcraft and stuff in the story, Caitlin? Just that Mm -hmm. you wish it was real? (laughs) 
I well, since it's not real, um, I associated the magic with murder. Okay. 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 Explain. So, I get Felicity and I was confused. Felicity doesn't want to go near, like, witchcraft and magic because she killed Alex the year prior when she was so obsessed with it. Right. And then Alice brings her into it, and a little bit by a little bit, she gets back into the feeling of, like, this is fine. This is this is who I am. So by the end, when Alice has, like, made her do all these things, and then, she, no, yeah, yeah, that was the right name. And she sees her, Felicity, no, damn it, Alice killed somebody. See, this is why I gotta just have like little character cards like this person, and then so Ellis killed Clara. Clara, and so Felicity was like, has been dabbling with all this stuff now because Ellis forced her into it. So Felicity's just like, all right, and then pushed her off wherever were they on a cliff again? Yeah, the same cliff that Alex. No, they were on the top of the library. Oh, I'm sorry. Top of the library. Why is it... See, I'm making my own reality. <laughs> but same um, type of murder, yeah. Well, yeah. maybe it's because I feel like that's where it should have ended. I feel like, yeah. At the cliff? Alice would have known something was up, though. <laughs> She's like, come back to she the cliff where really, Alex was She murdered. would have. She would have. She would. I know. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Continue. Yeah. Uh, I also related to cannibalism last night. Oh God. <laughs> I don't know how that came up. Are you re back on dead grandma again? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah no, that's, that's I think that's how it came that's, about. Yeah. And then Theora was like, I thought of a junkie. And I'm like, I thought of cannibalism. You thought of what, Theora? Like you said, I think that this is an obsession. She's like a junkie, the way she describes oh, getting back into the magic. She's like, Well, I can like look at it but i can't touch it i can touch yeah, it a yeah. little bit and then by the end she's like i'm obsessed like i can be in a bar it's fine right she's a serial killer okay that was really <laughs> fucking creepy thanks a lot for that i'll be dreaming of it forever um, and ever yeah there is one You're welcome God. <laughs> there's one point at which i the thing i really i kind of love it and i hate it where Ellis uses Felicity's brain against her as far as she makes the secret garden reappear. Oh, yeah, the book. Yeah, that was fucked up. In Felicity's Uh. room. And when she takes it off the shelf, the dirt falls out of the pages from the grave. I gotta say, that was pretty genius. Yeah, Yeah. that was fucked up. So obviously that's gonna make her go to the grave. I like that part. Yeah, it's like, I love it and I hate it because I hate it because it's like, oh God, Ellis, you f- yeah. evil genius. But right. I also love it because I'm like, ha that's really cool. So when she goes and digs up Alex's grave and because of the letter in the empty casket <laughs> and then finds Clara, I was like, fucking called it. As soon as Clara showed up and they're like, oh, she looks like Alex. She looks so much like Alex. I, know. I, I was, was like, like mm-hmm. that bitch is dead. Yeah. That's why I wasn't surprised. I was like, yep. Okay. What? 
<laughs> when oh sorry yeah what are you laughing at <laughs> i just thought of somebody like with the mental institution thing someone trying to make someone think they're going even crazier to the point that they just become like a maniac and just like start running around the building screaming at the top of their screaming at what the top of their lungs being oh. like they're coming to get me and it's really just this person messing with them that's the absolute definition of gaslighting yes <laughs> sorry a lot happened Okay. Yeah, I, I cannot even <laughs> doubt that. I'm fine. I'm sorry. I'm good. It's been, it's been over two hours. Up, I'm just glad you didn't end up digging a grave. But yeah, <laughs> digging uh. into a grave and finding a dead body. But yeah. Um. So also, I like the way that after that, the story you think is going to come to like a complete climax and like doesn't because she and Alice play that game of like cat and mouse for a time period I loved that that did because I expected that to kind of come to a climax after she found Clara uh, but it didn't so I thanks. thought she was just gonna go to jail thanks for surprising me that was cool um but yeah anything else on the occult yeah I, I agree with all with with uh that magic was definitely a metaphor for something else um, I like what you said, Caitlin. I think that definitely reads. I would like to say that I think it has to do with obsession. I think it's a metaphor for obsession because of the way Felicity constantly describes magic. Um, like there's one point where she describes it as like, I ate the pomegranate seed. And like, um, that's a, that's from the Greek myth of um, Hades and Persephone. And like she ate the pomegranate seeds and that tied her forever to the underworld, AKA darkness. And so this is like a metaphor for Felicity's obsession with darkness. Like you said, murder and things like that. Um, but she also, I think there's also something else going on with her that she, that manifests in the way she has this twisted kinship in her brain with Marjorie Lamont. Um, and Alex, again, who is, is the person that calls her out on stuff of the night Alex was murdered, Alex says to her when they're fighting, you're obsessed with magic because you can't stand to live with yourself otherwise. Because if you don't have witches to blame your shit on, then it's your fault. And she does throughout the story absolve herself of her own actions by blaming it on Marjorie. Hence why Marjorie is haunting her. It's really Felicity herself her alter ego the dark side of her haunting herself like with she did um because ever, there's a part in the book where she's on the precipice of admitting the fact to herself that she killed alex it wasn't really this accident she pushed her and killed her and she's immediately she, like the line is i didn't kill her i'm losing my mind i'm and then she's like marjorie it's Marjorie, coiled like a viper in my heart. She uses Marjorie as this excuse. So, like, magic is this crutch to her. And I think that with Alex, too, there was this part of her obsessive disorder is I think she, at some point, became way too obsessed with Alex also. Um, the way she becomes obsessed with Ellis. Like, where she lets her world be consumed by these people and these things. So, like, magic, Ellis, Alex. And she kind of loses sight of everything else. And 
There's this line where Felicity says, this is my problem. Despite my fear, despite all the ways this obsession, meaning magic, ruined everything for me. I want to be back here. I'm drawn to these books like a moth to a struck match. I can't stay away. So she's really went to the mental hospital, like deal with this obsessive stuff. But she's just like, it's too powerful. And like, I want to be here. I want to be in the darkness. Like, I want this. And like you mentioned with Ellis, it's different. Ellis is more logical about it. And there's this part where they're they're talking about it in one of their midnight rendezvous or whatever they're called, where she says, Ellis says, real magic has risks. So like to Ellis, her obsession with like murder has real risks because to her, it's real. It's not like fictional the way it kind of is in Felicity's mind. Um, and yeah, and so like, those are the juxtaposition between the two of them. Like Felicity has this like obsession with it, but she's also using it as a crutch to like, absolve herself of the active part she plays in it whereas Ellis is really practical about it. she's like I'm using this for method writing so it's cool but it's like it's not real but like it's a means to an end for me basically you just made me realize like you just gave me two thoughts that oh, I have to get out before I forget them <laughs> yeah go, go 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 I'm done number one is um holy crap I really do relate to Felicity except for the murder part I'm glad. Um, yeah. Or two, I think Ellis was jealous of Felicity in a way. <laughs> totally. Ellis was jealous. <laughs> yeah, like Ellis is like, Ellis God damn it, I have to be like the. I she, I think that she feels she romanticize she obviously romanticizes Felicity's murder. Mm-hmm. Not murder, but here's the thing: is I think that we've all referred to Alex's death as a murderer not thinking about it in the in this episode which kind of shows because I honestly don't think that she meant to kill Alex I just think that she pushed her and then Alex happened to be super drunk and fell off the cliff into the water but oh Okay, continue. Um, but the fact that she did push her in Felicity's mind means that she killed Alex, which she did. I just don't think it was, I think it was like second degree murder, not like intentional murder. Not like she meant to. So, or so, not even like second degree. I feel like it was manslaughter. It's not premeditated, basically, is what you're saying. Thank you. It's not premeditated. I don't think Alex is a she at all. And I don't also, if, if it were me judging the situation, I wouldn't say she was responsible for Alex's death. I think she played a part in it, but yeah. But to her, that's like, Oh no, sorry. Different when you're, when it's you doing it, like you're going to have that guilt. And that's also a reason I don't think, Felicity was a sociopath because she was so effed up by Alex's death that way. Anyway, Caitlin. Uh, what are we talking about? (laughs) I guess we're on the next point. What was the ending satisfying to you? And how, and do you think Alex was murdered by Felicity? No. 
Well, the ending that I thought up in my brain is satisfying. Which and, is? And you said she left the mental hospital, Alex, and she's not really dead. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Nah. That's nah, some other girl. I just, um, either Felicity is going to go to jail or she's going to end up back in the mental institution. And, you know, maybe they'll just, they, I'll say what I was going to say. They'll give her too much booty juice and she'll, she'll, uh, die in the mental hospital. All right. All right. Well, maybe just, people won't know what that means, but it's fine. Um, so I, I read it. The way you described it, Brie, the the first, like up until we got to the three year jump, where it seemed like it was an accident and she just, yeah, like all the things, but like as the story of how Alex evolved, and especially at the end, there, I I will say it's, I think she murdered her, um, because there's this line at the end when um, Felicity is with her new girlfriend and it's very clear from the inner monologue that she has no emotional, like she is full sociopath at this point. She has no emotional attachment um, to her whatsoever. She said to Ellis before she killed her, like, I'm sorry it had to end this way, but you made me me. So thanks. And like killed her and has like no real remorse about it three years later. And with the new girlfriend, she's, being a sociopath or she's like, well, this girl is all clingy and shit, but doesn't realize I'm ready to leave her, whatever. And they're on the roof. I think the two of them are on the balcony or something. And she has this thought where she's holding the girl and she's like, Oh, she's like pretty fragile and all this stuff. And I could push her. Like I pushed Alex. Like she has this thing where she's like, I can kill her right now. Just like I did to Alex where it's like, okay, girl, <laughs> you, you had some malicious. I don't know that you meant to kill Alex, but you definitely had malicious intent when you pushed her. So that made me kind of reconsider, like, I think she had the thought, I could kill you right now, Alex, and then, like, did do it, and then was like, oh, fuck, I am capable of this, and then couldn't grapple with it the whole time, and, like, the for me, that changed my read of the book, where, like, her journey was her admitting, okay, I am capable of this, and I kind of enjoy having this power kind of thing, which is a dark read of it, but the end the end kind of changed my perceptive perspective of it but again she's an unreliable narrator so like who knows what the truth really is but i honestly think that she's a poser like she wants to be that person in a way because again just like with magic it would absolve her of having responsibility yeah that's true also it's like she wants and i also think that she as far as the girlfriend is concerned, I think that it's a person that I don't think that she would entangle herself in a relationship with someone that she actually had cared about after that. And this girl was just, a was just, you know, like, well, I guess I'll, you know, she in, in kind of enjoys the perks of having that relationship, but it's like a person that she wouldn't actually have an attachment to and those are the people that she picks to date but she wouldn't pick somebody that she actually was attached to to date Mm -hmm. and that's my read of of felicity is that uh because at the beginning she really wants to fit in and she's using her money to do that and at the end i feel like she's like "Hmm, i've graduated into being this kind of i almost think she's romanticizing her uh supposed sociopathy in a way. And I feel like that, no girl, you're a poser. <laughs> like, 
Like you, yeah. you wish, you wish that that was the case. And Ellis made it easy for you to go into that. I think it's just another one of her kind of like delusions about herself. It definitely so. can be because if she has no, she has no support system. No one is keeping her in check. She's just trapped in her own mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, totally. It's gonna be another lie she tells herself. Yeah, it's like the way that she lives with it. Definitely. Her, her new coping mechanism. Which is a really effed up coping mechanism. Mm-hmm. So, personally, I thought it was a satisfying ending because it kept Me you too. questioning until the very end and you like it gives you a lot to look back on and like reevaluate the progression of Felicity and like the story of Alex's death and her sociopathy and all that stuff. So, I thought it was clever. Hi, Caitlin. Hi, Caitlin. <gasps> I feel the same way. So, yay! Well, I liked it because I finished the book. Girl, fucking, that's like an accomplishment it of is. its own. Yeah, right there. It's a big book. Um, so, Theora, I think it's time for us to kind of go back to our roots. Going back to our roots. Yeah. Are we rating this book? Yeah. All right. You gotta have roots before branches. Roots before branches. I don't know. I know it's a song. (laughs) I don't remember which song. I tried. All right, everyone. So for those of you that have been longtime listeners and for those of you that are new, one of our heritages of the podcast or hallmarks rather is rating our pieces of media about, um, it used to be about big witch energy, which we could do here, but they're not real witches. And so we're no longer big witch energy. Damn it. <laughs> I know. We've changed our rating scale so that it's more applicable to all the media we're going to cover that doesn't involve witches, real or fictional. So we would like to introduce for the first time the big gay energy hydration scale in which we will rate our pieces of media by how much we would hydrate for lesbian Jesus for this piece of media. So... Meaning, did we like the book? How gay was it? It is up to us to interpret for our Lord and Savior, lesbian Jesus, how much would we hydrate based on this media? And we're doing this on a scale of one to ten cups of water. So, how much would you guys hydrate for lesbian Jesus for this book? Caitlin, go first. Caitlin. (laughs) Fine. I feel mean. You, don't feel mean. It's not it is your mean. opinion. It's your opinion, yeah. I gave it a zero. Because it just wasn't gay. <laughs> it wasn't, wasn't gay. gay enough for Caitlin. <laughs> it wasn't gay. <laughs> Maybe I'll give it a one for the murder. <laughs> it wasn't gay, but it gets a cup of water for murdering. Well, let's mean Jesus is going to love that. <laughs> okay, that's Caitlin's. Caitlin's. I fucking love you. <laughs> Brie, what about you? Made it interesting. You did. Oh, um, I will give this one seven cups of water and an old fashioned. Because I do like old fashions. Just saying. Um, I guess I'm the weirdo that likes them. To honor Ellis. Yeah, that crazy bitch. So why seven? Seven because. 
I was thoroughly entertained and kept guessing throughout the entire book. Uh, if a book makes me think about it after I've read it for continue like a, a more than ten seconds, I give it points for that. And it did. I also love the atmosphere of the book, and I loved like we discussed earlier that there was queerness, but it wasn't the um conflict in the book i did like so i'm that really messed up person that liked the that likes when people get together even in tragic circumstances even though they're like even like even though she's gonna murder ellis and there's like all the murder in the book i liked the scenes where they were romantic mm -hmm. like i could see you know, that they really did have an attraction. You know, Crap, I forgot about that part. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there was gay stuff, Caitlin. <laughs> I forgot did, about that part. We did have all the sakes for two days. <laughs> I got distracted by the murder. <laughs> well, there was more murder than gay sex. It's true. So. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that's why uh, I really... Oh, also, big, huge thing for me is the writing the the writing elevated it in my opinion because this story could have been written with a less I guess a less literature bent kind of style and it wouldn't have been I wouldn't have finished it probably but since Victoria Lee is an excellent writer and gives you all that juicy imagery. Yes. It gets, it gets yes. seven in an old fashioned. I like that. I will give it five out of ten cups of water. Literally everything you said. The writing was huge for me. Juicy imagery is the perfect way to describe that. Her writing is beautiful. That kept me going. It took me a little bit to get into it. Um, it really was a chapter where Ellis just was like, calls her out for being wrong about mm -hmm. her own like memory, which was like, whoa, that chapter was very strong. And the book strengthened from there. Victoria is a great writer. Um, literally everything you said, Brie, was all my, my plus. Mainly I'm mad their magic wasn't real. <laughs> I thought it was going to be real. And that was like a big thing for me where I was like god damn it why is this real but yeah I really thought it was yeah I thought it was gonna be real so I felt duped which is just me and has nothing to do with the book um but it's not a book I personally would read again but I do I do agree it is it did keep me thinking about it and like rethinking about all the things that I read because she did the reliable narrator in a very powerful way. She did it so well that it does keep you guessing the whole time or second guessing and reflecting constantly, which is just the, her strength as a writer. So I did like that aspect. Normally I don't like unreliable narrators, but here it worked so well. I agree. It was the only, it was because it can be something that's used in, Used to a degree that's annoying. Yes. But this yes. needed an unreliable narrator to work. Yeah, and I agree. So yeah. That also, um, I didn't mention, but I thought of it earlier, but another reason I gave it the seven is because the story and the atmosphere reminds me of Shirley Jackson and also um, Patricia Highsmith. 
Mm-hmm. I know everyone, everyone, all the gay ladies like to focus on the price of salt slash Carol mm-hmm. when talking about Patricia Highsmith, but I'm going to tell you the first introduction I ever got to Patricia Highsmith's writing and or stories in general was Strangers on a Train. And it was one of my favorite oh. freaking books slash movies because it's like this it you you're like well this is really this is really fucked up and also really interesting so but that was that was the like a hallmark of patricia highsmith's writing before she wrote the price of salt was that it was like that it was it was just really kind of not even i don't even know how to just really what's it's not even a genre i can call a name of you know just yeah it's not a thriller so much as a as an effed up it's a mind it's a mind a mind fuck (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah a mental thriller basically a psychological thriller there you go it's like i i mean like i don't know i wasn't like (sighs) anyway so there you go i feel like those are probably maybe she mentioned shirley i mean you know we have shirley jackson in the book so But I really love Shirley Jackson's um, writing in general. But I think we all had to read the lottery at one point or another. I don't oh know, maybe. yeah, that short story. I forgot that was her. Yeah, that's her. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, the lottery. If you haven't read it, <laughs> you, I'm sure you can Google it. It's a short story. They forced us to read it in school in America, which is why we're all fucked up. But it's a good story. Did you just say the lottery? Yeah. yeah. My mom was forced to read it like three times in school. And the last time she just walked out and said, I'm not reading this. That's and she also had to watch it. I, I mean, it's like it a movie. A, it's it. basically the Hunger it Games. <laughs> it is the Hunger it's Games. It's really bad. Yeah. It's, but it's, it's the Hunger Games before the Hunger Games existed. But it's just like it's anyway. That's not why we're here to analyze that. It's a, it's great. Also, Hill House made me happy because mm-hmm. Mike Flanagan did it for a series, which is incredible, and there's queer stuff in it, so that made me happy. Also, also the haunting of my Shirley. Uh, no, the haunting oh. uh, is the Shirley Jackson. Basically, um, they did it in the '60s and they made it queer. Oh, I didn't know that. in the movie where it wasn't in the book. Yeah. That and I, I always enjoyed that movie. Hell yeah. The original one. Like, we'll talk original about the original adaptation at some point. Maybe next time. Uh, okay, cool. So that's our hydration scale. We will be doing this at the end of every episode that isn't an interview. So let us know <laughs> how much you would hydrate for Lesbian Jesus for uh, a lesson in vengeance. But it would be really bad if we did it for interviews. <laughs> I would not hydrate for you, ma'am slash sir slash them. All right. So, yeah. So, anyway, book club will be a monthly thing that we're going to do from now on. And our next book club will be run by Caitlin. And Caitlin's going to share with us what we'll be reading for November. We're going to be reading three books. Woo, get scared. Not really. So, we're going to be talking about banned books in school and two of the books. Heather Has Two Mommies by Leslie Newman and I Am Jazz by Jazz Jennings are books made for children in like very young elementary school, like preschoolers. And then we're also going to read Better Nate Than Ever by Tim Fetterly. And that is also a movie on Netflix. Read the book first. No, it's not on Netflix. It's on Disney+. Plus. Oh my gosh, I keep thinking it's Netflix. It's not. But... 
all these books are banned in schools and we're going to talk about it and the whole banning in general. And fun fact, this book that we just read today is banned in schools. I wonder Basically, why. most wonder books why. that we're going to do in this book club <laughs> are probably going to be bad because they're gay. Well, spoiler. Yeah, I think this one was all probably more banned for the murder. murder. <laughs> well, we yeah. will get into the banning stuff next time. So we hope you enjoyed our first book club and we'll see you next month for Caitlin's yes. book club. Thank you. Bye, everyone. And with that, we've been Big Gay Energy. If you like this episode, check out all of our other episodes on whatever you're using to listen right now. Uh, Please subscribe and like all the things. If you happen to be listening on Apple, we'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a review, no matter how brief. This is what Apple uses in their algorithm to uh, help us gain a wider audience. So please, please, please help us out. Yes, and please feel free to reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you about everything and anything. And if we like it, we'll probably give you a shout out on the air. You can find us at all the things Twitter at Big Gay Energy Pod, Tumblr, Big Gay Energy Pod, Instagram, Big Gay Energy Pod, or you can email us at biggayenergypod at gmail.com. Until next time, stay safe and hydrate for lesbian Jesus.